It's Monday, December 6th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Chris Cuomo's time at CNN is done. He has been fired by the network after more details emerged about the extent in which he helped his brother, former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, amidst sexual misconduct allegations. Chris offered up to reach out to sources to see if any more accusers would come forward, and also counseled his brother on media responses. Ginger Gibson, deputy Washington digital editor at NBC News, joins us for Cuomo's ouster, GOP infighting, and former Republican senator, presidential candidate, and World War II hero Bob Dole, dead at 98. Next, decentralized finance, also known as DeFi, is a fast-growing market that is worth over $100 billion. With no regulation, it is like the Wild West, where anyone can mint a new cryptocurrency coin and pull the scam relatively easily. Enter the Rug Seekers, a group of crypto vigilantes hunting the market for scams. After being burned by a rug pull scam and not wanting others to fall for the same schemes, Robert Browning and his team examined source code, crypto wallets, and price charts for red flags that could indicate fraud. Mizerlena Egafulpolu, reporter at Bloomberg News, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I've had my anxious moments in my life. I've learned to feed myself and to walk and to dress. I'm standing here as proof that in America, the possibilities are unlimited. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. Let's start off with the news about CNN anchor Chris Cuomo. Uh, He was just suspended last week after more details emerged about how he was helping out his brother, former governor, former New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, defend himself against these sexual misconduct allegations. Uh, On Saturday, he was fired by CNN. Um, You know, his reasoning was that he was advising his brother on a family matter. Um, He wasn't directly reporting on Albany at the time, so he thought it was okay. But he's gone for now. This was clearly a case of line crossing. And there's been a lot of criticism among journalists that Chris Cuomo did something that he knew he shouldn't have been doing. Of course, people have family members, people's family members become the news, especially if your family member is the governor of a state, it's going to be very complicated. But this is a case where he was injecting himself, not just sitting around the table giving him a piece of advice, but like actively engaged in trying to make it better for his brother, which was just going too far. Also, we have to consider the fact that he wasn't being very transparent about it. Uh, He had his brother on the air at one point. He was not uh, talking to his bosses about his level of involvement. And those are the things that we can do as journalists to offset our conflicts of interest is be transparent about it. And he just wasn't doing that in this case. In this case, you know, he was offering up to reach out to sources to see if there were going to be more women coming forward. Uh, He said he was coaching his brothers on his responses, getting leads on certain accusers. So, I mean, this is how far he was going into it. Much farther than just the casual, like, don't harass women uh, (laughs) advice that we would expect uh, maybe one brother to give another. Uh, He went much farther. Let's talk a little bit about some of the GOP infighting that we saw this past week. We saw a bunch of different dynamics play out in the House. We're seeing some far right representatives like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert feel more empowered. You know, um, they were both been fighting with uh, Representative Elon Omar or I mean, uh, at least Boebert was and, and Taylor Greene was at least backing her up when other she was getting criticism from other members of the House. And in the Senate, we saw a, a small group of GOP senators almost force a government shutdown over vaccine mandates. 
Yeah, we saw the the Republicans have sort of been quiet on the Hill for the last few months. Democrats mostly did um, the infrastructure bill on their own, particularly in the House and the Senate. They had some bipartisan agreement. They had a little bit in the House, but not really players in what has been happening in Washington these last few months. But we saw sort of this inviting really break to the surface this week. You mentioned Lauren Boebert and Majority Taylor Greene. Green got into a Twitter fight with Nancy Mace, another Republican House member who was criticizing Majority Taylor Green. She called her some very colorful emojis on Twitter that I won't interpret for you. Um, but the first one was bad and the last one was crazy. So you can put the rest together. And so we saw that fighting. And then you're right in the Senate, this small group of Republicans, three of them wanted to shut the government down to try to block um, the president's vaccine mandates. The rest of the Republicans really didn't want to do that. They thought that would be bad politics for them. That was not a hill they wanted to go die on. Um, and so we saw some fighting between them. And then ultimately, um, the rest of the Republicans went out and they did not shut the government down over vaccine mandates. Yeah. In the House, at least, you know, a lot of people are looking to Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy to to get things in order, get things under control. Uh, but he's been pretty di- dismissive of a lot of the criticism when it comes his way. I mean, he says, oh, it's not going to bother us, you know, later in the midterms. And he's just kind of providing cover for some of these other representatives who, you know, seem fit to to fight it out with everybody else. Yes. And we had this great piece this weekend from Sahil Kapoor um, on NBCNews.com that got into some of these dynamics with McCarthy. Uh, he really doesn't want to wade into these fights because he's afraid he'll upset Trump. Um, Green and Boebert um, are Trump allies. And McCarthy is afraid if he's seen publicly criticizing them, that the former president will be displeased with his actions. Finally, for this week on Sunday, uh, former senator, Republican presidential candidate, World War II hero, Bob Dole, he died uh, at age 98. They said in a a statement, they said that he died in his sleep. And um, he had revealed in February, I guess, that he had been battling stage four lung cancer. That's right. Bob Dole, who uh, really was well-respected as a statesman in the Republican Party. He was a longtime stalwart of the Senate, made one unsuccessful run for the presidency, um, really well-liked among Republicans, at least the Republicans of or. Um, <laughs> in the, not, maybe not the current iteration of them as much, but before. Um, he did die this weekend. And you're right, he had stage four lung cancer. He was 98 years old, um, so eventually died because of that cancer. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Another thing that they look at is whether the creators have locked the liquidity of the coin, which means they can't take any of the money in the liquidity pool out of the coin if they want to, which means that your investment as you know an investor in the coin is secure. Joining us now is Ms. Relena Egafopoulou, reporter at Bloomberg News. Thanks for joining us, Ms. Relena. Thank you for having me. I want to talk about an interesting story you wrote about some uh, crypto vigilantes. They're hunting out scams in this uh, $100 billion market of decentralized finance. This is an area where pretty much anybody can mint a new cryptocurrency, get people to buy the coin. And the thought is that people are going to be making money off this thing. A lot of times these things end up being scams. In the first half of this year, $681 million in major crypto thefts, hacks, and frauds happened in this area. So 
Missy, before we get started on this team of hunters, they're called the rug seekers. Tell me about decentralized finance. What are we seeing in this area? We're, what we're seeing is an explosion of these so-called meme coins. And, you know, it all sort of started with the main meme coin, which is Dogecoin. That was the coin that really made rounds earlier this year with a lot of investors putting money early into it and seeing some massive returns. And what Dogecoin basically created was this trend of, you know, meme tokens in the DeFi space that promise returns in some cases tenfold or 20-fold for investors that are able to make the correct decision and put their money in a meme coin that will be pumped in a way enough where they can, you know, get a good investment out of it. And so I think that this is why you've seen so much interest from the investor point of view, because there's so much volatility in these meme coins. And so if you are looking to make a quick buck, this is definitely the space that you're looking into. But then for scammers, this place is completely unregulated. And so just as you mentioned, people can basically create their own coins. It's very easy. You basically just need to pull together a source code and just copy and paste that code for any coin that you want to create in that space. And so I think that it's given a lot of leeway for scammers to really create coins that promise to give investors return or promise to have a certain utility. But what they end up doing is basically getting investors to pour in money and then the creators behind it will pull all of that liquidity out of the coin. That's known as a rug pull and they'll leave the investors that put money into it sort of hanging. Yeah. And for, you know, the investors, the attraction is there, right? You can buy a bunch of tokens for fractions of a penny, pretty much. A lot of times get a bunch of these tokens. You know, if you get out at the right time, as more people are putting money into it, yeah, you can make some money. But as you mentioned, a lot of times these rug pull scams, all the liquidity falls out of it. And then you're left with worthless tokens. All the money you put in there is gone at that point. So this is where a lot of these scams are happening. And for your story, you profiled a man named Robert Browning. So he runs a group called Rug Seekers who basically investigate new meme coins, new coins that are out there, follow some of the breadcrumbs and see if they're actually legitimate. And in the story, he was uh, investigating a new coin called We Save Moon. Uh, and it ended up being kind of a scam, but he was in their Telegram chat group trying to pump them for information. They banned him. Uh, it was all played out pretty interesting. So tell us about that. Robert Browning is definitely a fascinating character. He's the leader of this group called the Rug Seekers. They get them their name from the famous sort of pump and dump scheme that I just told you about called the Rug Pull. And they basically all met online as victims of a scam themselves. These were a few investors that all invested in this coin earlier this year that ended up losing a ton of money. And I think that the feeling of being cheated was pretty prevalent among the group and they decided to fight back. And so now they have several members across the country. They have one in California, another one in Ohio, another one in Indiana. They also have some people in the UK. And what they do is they basically get tips for coins that may pique investors' interest or have some questionable characteristics, and they investigate. And, you know, I think this is the very interesting part about the work that they do is they've figured out the process of identifying the scam. And it's twofold. On the one end, what they can do is go into the source code of the coin, 
And, you know, a lot of the times these scammers will basically copy and paste the same scam code from coin to coin and keep moving on. So it's easy for them to identify any red flags when they look at the source code after doing it enough times. Then they might look at the wallets uh, and the wallet addresses that are available in really any website that features the coin. And they'll try to figure out where the money is going, where the money is coming from and see if they can figure anything out there. But the last thing that they do, which is mostly the most effective one, is go into the Telegram groups where these creators of coins talk to their investors. And that is when you can really sort of weed out the scammers, because what these rug seekers do is they ask very straightforward questions that, you know, someone would assume would be a given when it comes to a coin that's legit. For example, are the creators of the coin making their identity public? If they're not, that's a really big red flag because they're not willing to vouch for the coin they're creating themselves publicly. Another thing that they look at is whether the creators have locked the liquidity of the coin, which means they can't take any of the money in the liquidity pool out of the coin if they want to, which means that your investment as you know, an investor in the coin is secure. And another one that is, I guess, important, it should be the, one of the first questions anybody asks, I think, is the coin's utility. You know, what does this coin do? Does it serve a purpose? Or can you buy things with it? And I know there's a lot of people getting into these crypto markets and buying these coins. You go to things like Bitcoin, which uh, people accept payments for, Ethereum, all these things. They do serve certain purposes. And some of these meme coins that flash up out of nowhere, I mean, what do they do? That's the first question I always think of when I'm considering any type of cryptocurrency. Exactly. If you're an investor and you're thinking, you know, should I invest in this meme coin that I haven't heard about? One of the main things that you should be looking at is what does this coin do? If the coin doesn't really do anything, then that's a a bit of a red flag because it means that there's no sort of utility behind it. And there's really no reason for that coin to exist other than just people backing it and sort of pumping it which ultimately, most often than not, goes south. If it does have a utility, then investors really should still continue to do their due diligence and try to figure out some of these other questions. Are the creators of the coin making their their identity public? And have they locked in the liquidity of the coin? And are there any rewards that come with owning some of this coin? And there's different characteristics that each coin has. And again, like doing your research is, is sort of the, the main strategy here in terms of avoiding scams. So back to Robert Browning, he, he runs his operation, his part of it from his basement in Southern Indiana. So he's uh, confronting some of the moderators in this telegram group for we save moon coin. And he's asking them all these questions and, and uh, just tell us how the exchanges were going. Because at one point they basically banned him. He started kind of raising the red flags and telling other people, Hey, this could be a scam. But in these groups, once you get banned, all their message, all your messages that you were posting get erased. So the pace at which things happen are so fast, his message kind of just gets lost right away. That's exactly right. I think that was one of the most, I guess, upsetting parts of reporting out this story is ultimately seeing how little these vigilantes, if you will, can do to protect investors in this a hundred, you know, billion dollar industry. I mean, there is just not that much they can do rather than ask these questions, try to get some answers. And you'll notice that a lot of the times the creators of the coin won't really respond to Rob's questions because they don't have to. Rob isn't someone that they actually need to be scared of. And so as soon as they realize that Rob is in this group being a FUD, which is, you know, sort of crypto speak for... 
<laughs> it's crypto speak for anyone who instills fear, uncertainty, and doubt for a coin. He gets blocked right away. And with his blocking, that basically means all the messages that he included in the group get deleted. And any investors who missed those messages won't really be able to get the warning signs. And so what's really interesting, though, is that you have sort of other rug seekers across the country um, and in the UK who are working in the unison. And so what they'll do is as soon as Rob gets kicked out, they will start asking the moderators, hey, why did you kick out the Rob user? Why is he no longer in the group? And then again, you can gauge the reaction of the coin creators who here basically act coy and say, what rug seekers guy? I have no idea who you're talking about. And then one by one, the rug seekers will start getting blocked for asking very simple questions that these coin creators should be able to answer. Eventually what they do is they go to Twitter and they try to issue a warning and hope that they can reach as many investors as possible on social media to prevent them from throwing money into this coin. But again, Oscar, what we're seeing here is not a lot of reach. So we sort of tracked down how many impressions the tweet that the rug seeker sent out got. And it was around, you know, 5,000, which isn't that many people. And so their reach, I don't think is, is that big right now. But I think their efforts really speak to the fact that there's really no one else in this space doing the work that needs to be done in order to protect these investors. And in the end, you know, the We Save Moon thing was a scam. It was a it wasn't as fast as these pump and dump rug pulls. It was a slower burn. What they would do is anytime an investor would sell any of the tokens, they'd take a little bit of money out and transfer it to some other wallets. That way they'd save some of that value for themselves. And, you know, everybody else slowly kind of lose the value of their coins. So it was a slower attempt. That's why maybe certain people weren't noticing it or whatever. But Browning and his team, they noticed it right away and were able to identify that. So, I mean, it's, it's tough. As you mentioned, in a lot of cases, the decentralized finance area right here, the DeFi is there's no regulation. So it's really hard. It's really up to these people who uh, are trying to weed out these scams. They're the only ones that are really looking out for others. Exactly. You know, there's really no regulation from the SEC um, here right now. And I think what their work proves is that investors in the DeFi space are sort of on their own right now. There's no rules. Anyone can do whatever they want. And they call it the wild, wild west for, for that reason. And, you know, I think Rob is someone who explains that he's felt the gut feeling of being scammed out of money. And, and I think that, you know, that's a feeling that he couldn't forget. And even myself being in the room with him as he was taking down these scammers, I could feel the energy. And I could tell you that it was very powerful to see these scammers sort of have all the leeway they want to take investors' money without having to explain themselves to anyone. And I think another very crucial part of this conversation is the amount of money involved. And so a lot of times, you know, people who spend money in these crypto coins, they'll spend not too much money by SEC standards, right? So it's not losing any investor as much money that would get the SEC to notice it and really sort of pursue any legal action because we're talking about a couple thousand dollars. But for specific individuals, those could be legitimate savings, you know, that they could see sort of go away over, over the matter of a few minutes. And I think that's where things can get really powerful. Mr. Lena Egalfopulu, reporter at Bloomberg News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, guys. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, 
give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. <laughs>